Ahoy! Welcome to Pirate Wire Services. I am Joshua Collins. This week we're talking about refugees and migration, the differences between European migrations and migrations that come from the global south. Of course, the war in Ukraine has brought this issue into the spotlight. In just under a month, Ukraine has displaced more than 4 million refugees into other countries in the world. And the response has been overwhelmingly positive. And that's great. The world should be accepting these migrants. They're coming from a literal war zone and incredibly dangerous situations. But the outpouring of support around the globe has stood in sharp contrast with the migrations coming from a lot of other areas in the global south, particularly uh, Latin America and the Caribbean, as well as the Middle East. For example, we had those dramatic images of border police attacking Haitian migrants on horseback just a few months ago. Also in Poland two months ago, there was a rush of of refugees and migrants from the Middle East and North Africa that were attacked by Polish border police with tear gas and clubs and forced to wait in freezing weather. Um, And both of these populations have been rejected by the U.S., have been rejected by virtually all of Europe. And this outpouring of support for Ukraine has also brought along some really questionable media statements where There have been world leaders and there have been reporters who have made statements like, oh, but these are intelligent, educated migrants. They aren't a security risk. They're Christians. They're like us. And it's really shining a spotlight on not only a lot of the prejudices and misinformation surrounding migration, but also on how some of these decisions and policy seem to be made. Since the Ukraine war started, four million refugees have been displaced to other countries. It's an incredible number, and that's in just over a month, making it one of the fastest and biggest refugee movements in recent years. But it's also interesting, other conflict zones have not received that same kind of welcome In the United States, for example, it took just a little over a week for Ukrainians to be granted TPS, the Temporary Protected Status, that allows them to claim asylum. Furthermore, in recent weeks, a lot of them have been waived through the Remain in Mexico program, um, also called Title 42. Title 42 is a Trump-era program that, for reasons of the pandemic, prevents asylum seekers from entering the U.S. to claim asylum. They have to wait in a third country. Usually that's Mexico, which is where the nickname comes from. CDC and other health experts have said that this really has no effect on preventing COVID. It seems to be a program just designed to punish and deter asylum seekers. Some countries, such as Cameroon or Haiti uh, are areas of extreme conflict, and they are not allowed to enter the U.S. to claim asylum. It's a program that was started under the Trump administration and viewed as rather draconian. Biden promised on the campaign trail to abolish Title 42, but he has, in fact, instead expanded it. It, he has expanded the numbers of, of countries that it applies to, um, So the result 
stands in sharp contrast with the treatments that Ukrainians are getting. And we reached out to a few experts this week to talk about why. And it seems that at least partly these decisions are being made based on race. So I talked to Adam Isaacson. He's the border specialist at WOLA. That's the Washington Office on Latin America. They're a humans right, human rights group that monitors uh, Latin American security and crime and migration. And this is what he had to say. Right to apply for asylum was sort of cemented in by the Refugee Act in 1980. It was a Cold War thing. Uh, people from countries that didn't fit the Cold War frame, particularly in, in Latin America, uh, like Mexicans, or uh, even Central Americans, if, if they were under a right-wing regime, did not easily get asylum. They, were, they weren't considered to fit uh, the vision of who could get asylum. And I think that, yeah, there has certainly been a racial element to that, although the Cold War even overlays that because, yeah, Salvadorans during the Civil War in Salvador had a hard time getting asylum, but Cubans did not because they were under a communist regime, right? Um, and I think you see something similar with this uh, this overlay of race and Cold War thinking uh, in the double standards around protection and protected status today. It is very, very hard to achieve this status for people from countries where their skin is darker, you know, like you mentioned Cameroonians or, or Haitians, but also, you know, Hondurans or Salvadorans who are living under, under gang rule or Nicaraguans who are, you know, subject to the, what the, the, the Ortega government is doing to that population. It's still much harder uh, than it is with, you know, a whiter and more sort of geopolitically persecuted group like Ukrainians. Um, and, you know, I just, you know, the, the law says nothing about race. It says nothing about geopolitics, but the way uh, asylum has played out has, has always been this way. Progress has been made. The fact that Central Americans can get asylum when Title 42 is in existence, uh, and, you know, something like a third of the time, it would have been unthinkable in the 1980s, but there's still a heck of a long way to go. So what we see uh, with migration policy in the U.S. is that sometimes there's some correlation with foreign policy. We've already talked about the, U, the Ukrainian situation in, in that manner. But for a long time, Cubans, as soon as they set foot on U.S. soil, were deemed residents. They were granted social benefits. They were granted the right to work almost immediately. That was ended under the Obama era. Um, now Cubans are still one of the few countries that are exempt from Title 42 in South America and the Caribbean. And so that plays into a lot of the US rhetoric that socialist countries are bad. There are outliers though in this dynamic as well. For example, under the Trump administration with Venezuela, we heard a lot of rhetoric about how, hor how horrible human rights are. And you know, some of that criticism was extremely justifiable. I'm not trying to deny that. But at the same time, even though TPS was granted to Venezuelans, it only covered, it only happened when the Biden administration took over. And it still only covers people who were already in the country. In fact, in recent months, more Venezuelans have begun to arrive to the U.S. border. They're making the trek through Colombia and the Darien Gap through Central America. 
and they're one of the populations that are not being allowed to cross the border. So, you know, that's an example of an area where foreign policy doesn't really square with migration policy. But ultimately, based on what I've learned from three years covering this issue, is that migration policy in the U.S. doesn't really make much sense at all. A lot of it's driven by a lot of false rumors and a lot of rhetoric. And although after talking to some experts about this issue this week, it seems like race is definitely not the only dynamic driving decision-making. It's still a really important one and one of the major factors. And to talk about that a bit more, I reached out to Lisa Paricio. She's a representative from the Catholic Legal Immigration Network. They're a broad alliance of immigration activists and advocates and research groups that collect data and advocate for the rights of minorities in the global south. They're concentrated primarily in Latin America and in Western Africa. And this is what she had to say. So the context for the Biden administration is, you know, the, the calls for TPS for Cameroon have been going on since the transition, since literally day one of this administration, as well as calls for TPS for many other countries. We had this basically backlog of countries, um, you know, that we were calling for the Biden administration to immediately evaluate, you know, in the first days of office and make sure that people um, had protection because of the way the, you know, TPS had been approached under the Trump administration. And, you know, we find ourselves over a year, you know, whatever it is at this point, you know, into the Biden administration, and we have not seen designations for new designations for some of, you know, for some African countries, really notably Cameroon, where there is um, just a very clear case under the law that safe return is impossible. And there have been clear um, asks, recommendations made again by experts, community-based organizations talking about all of the policy reasons as well to do a TPS designation. And we haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the world's, saw that the administration was able to move on TPS for Ukraine in a week. Um, You know, and they saw that, um, you know, other designations have moved quicker. So clearly there are, um, there are different factors behind that. And there has been this long fight for TPS for Cameroon, TPS for Ethiopia, TPS for Mauritania. We are not seeing these new designations for African countries. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is extremely important is this question of, is there racial bias here? Is mm-hmm. this why we are not seeing TPS for Cameroon? Do you guys have any advocacy towards how um, Haitians might figure into TPS? Right now, they're one of the countries that get automatically deported under Title 42. Right. So with Haiti, we had you know not only the assassination of the president, complete political... Um, meltdown, huge increases of violence and danger to to civilians. You know, we have another natural disaster. So, you know, TPS for Haiti was um, newly designated under this administration. But as I understand, there have been more calls to redesignate, move those dates so that more people who are currently in the United States can, um, can be protected. So... The, the interplay, of course, between Title 42 
at TPS for Haiti was, yes, TPS is very clear. You have to be present and residing in the U.S. by X, Y, Z dates. So when, you know, we aren't, you know, where asylum seekers aren't able to cross the border, of course, they weren't able to get TPS. And that brings us to our final point. So Title 42, also called the Remain in Mexico program, is what's preventing a lot of these people who would be otherwise eligible for asylum from even crossing the border, from entering the States. So when you hear people saying, you know, they need to come here legally, they need to follow the rules, for a lot of these people, it's a catch-22. And this, is, this has caused the formation of sprawling tent cities in certain areas on the U.S.-Mexican border, where people wait months. There's been cases that people that I've spoken to that have waited almost a year just for their date because the Remain in Mexico policy is exactly that. It makes them wait in a third country while their asylum claim is considered. So what we have is a system where economic migration for poor people is almost impossible. And the asylum system, for many of them, is a catch-22. And for someone from Haiti or from Honduras or another Central or South American country to be watching on the news that Ukrainians are all swept to the front of the line and allowed in makes one wonder. Thanks for tuning in this week. We are Pirate Wire Services. I'm Joshua Collins. Be sure to check out our Substack. It's Pirate Wire Services. You can find us on Twitter at pirate underscore wire. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. This is independently produced journalism from South America. Sign off from Bogota, Colombia. Thanks for listening.